Hi, hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. See, it began for me when a Protestant pastor asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? He was on his own journey, it turned out, and he sent me onto mine. I began to mine the riches of church history to answer that question, to figure out what I believed, what the early church believed, what traditions down through the ages believed, what happened at the Reformation, and, and how I fit into all of that. Well, in that journey, I encountered the ancient Catholic Church. There it was, looming large in the history of Christianity, and I could not avoid it. And I began reading from actual Catholic sources, what Catholics actually believed, and it was then that I realized what I thought Catholics believed, what I thought the church was all about, was based in large part on misinformation and simple misunderstandings. Just misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I'm joined by fellow evangelical convert, Father Boniface Hicks, a Benedictine monk, to talk about St. Joseph, and saints in particular. He has a fantastic book which, which mines the, the riches of the Gospels and how they deal with and how they show us, how they present to us St. Joseph. And guys, for a, for a character, for a figure in the Bible who doesn't say a thing in the Gospels, wow, there's a lot that we can say about him, how his life can show us the way, how he's an example for us to live the Christian, the Catholic life, well, it's remarkable how he points to Christ and what we can learn from him, and how we understand saints in, in particular a, as Catholics. I mean, we talk in this episode about how, uh, how each of us as non-Catholics confronted the idea of saints and the, the, the wackiness of, of relics and these kinds of things, and, and how those saints can impact us really, in a, in a real way, in a relationship today, thousands of years later. It's a fantastic, a remarkable conversation. Father Boniface is a, is a great storyteller, a fantastic speaker, really eloquent, really to the point, and makes some fantastic remarks and ideas and, and points here in, in our conversation. I'm grateful for his time. You're going to love this conversation, I, I guarantee you. This episode and all others are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. If you want to help support this show and keep it going and growing, please head over there and have a look at how you can support this show on a monthly basis. $5 or more a month donors are entered automatically into draws for free books, including this one, Through the Heart of St. Joseph from Father Boniface, will be this once book uh, entry, giveaway, draw, and those patrons are entered automatically to win books each and every month, those $5 or more donors. One-time donations are at paypal.me slash and those help as well. Please do leave a review if you can for this show. Follow it. Tell a friend. Please spread the word and keep this thing going. Guys, I appreciate that so much. And now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Father Boniface Hicks on St. Joseph. Please listen and enjoy. Hey 
Hey guys, welcome back. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us once again on the show. I want to remind you, if you're just if you're watching this on YouTube, we're also on podcasts, everywhere podcasts are available. If you're listening only, well, we're on YouTube as well at youtube.com slash the culture Catholic to watch this episode as well. I am joined this week by Father Boniface Hicks. He's a Benedictine monk of St. Vincent Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. He's a director of spiritual formation for the St. Vincent Seminary and the director of the Institute for Ministry Formation. And for our purposes here today, the author of Through the Heart of St. Joseph from Emmaus Road Publishing. Father, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show and hello. Well, I'm honored. It's really great to be with you pleasure. I'm thrilled to have you. This is a fantastic, I'm gesturing over here, listeners can't see this, but I'm, viewers, viewers can't either. I'm just I'm gesturing to your book here on my desk. Fantastic. I want to dig into this book deeply if we can, but I want to begin here with you because I have you here on the show. I should ask you questions like this. They're, they're, they're hard-hitting, exciting questions, I think, because this show is, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, and a lot of listeners to this show are non-Catholics looking into the faith or new Catholics uh, thinking about how to dig deeper in their faith. And one of the things that you encounter right off the bat when you talk about someone like St. Joseph is that saint title. And I wonder if we can begin with this for those non-Catholic listeners especially, because we Catholics make a big deal out of saints. But a non-Catholic listener to this program, a viewer might go, well, what's the big deal about saints? Like why, why saints? Why write a book about a saint, like what is what is this? What would, what would you say? Well, and, and I can appreciate that from my own journey too. I'm also a convert. I grew up without any religion, and then I really came to know Christ through uh, an evangelical uh, Bible study. Total stranger came up to me on campus at the university and invited me to study the Bible with him one on one. And certainly the. Bible-centered approach to Christianity and meeting Jesus Christ there through the scriptures is so beautiful and so essential. I love, I'm so grateful for our Protestant brothers and sisters for just holding to the the essential in, in that sense. And uh, that was certainly a great blessing for me. And I was a little skeptical myself about the saints when I had to choose a confirmation name as I was eventually coming into the Catholic faith. I I, I chose St. Paul because he's scriptural, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> There's a, I can I can appreciate the the, the confusion, uh, concern, hesitation, all of those kinds of things. Like, well, who are these saints? What are they doing here? What's this all about? And and the simple thing is uh, to to turn it around. We might say, well, it's kind of the most obvious thing in the world. Let me pose a counter question: Why in the world should I think that Christianity works? Like, why should I think that there's there's any reason to follow Christ and adhere to this whole system of, of thought and approach to life and belief in the transcendent and that we can have a living relationship with God. And I want to see what the end of the story looks like. And then you say, well, where are you going to find that? Well, from the people who have lived it, who are they? The saints. So that's who they are by definition. They're the people who have really lived the life, who have really followed Christ, who have allowed him into the center to become everything for them. And so they're the ones that we look to. And uh, another way to say it is that they're the best interpretation of the gospel in any given time and place. And so, um, so they really are, are a great, a great gift for us. If we look at the saints throughout the ages who have received the gospel in the same way that we have in, in faith and through the, the tradition, 
And then looking back at saints like Mary and Joseph, John the Baptist, those who are in Scripture and play a particular role, especially welcoming Christ. So we call them from the, the order of the incarnation or the, the hypostatic order, if you want to use big words. But uh, they, they play a particular role that we can learn from. And so St. Joseph and, and Our Lady are not just some among many, but really essential figures in, in welcoming Christ. But anyway, just to, uh, to, to look at the saints as the models, the inspirations, the proof of, of God's grace being effective and what a, a life of grace can really look like. They're, they're just wonderful for us that way. I love that. That's a fantastic way of putting it. Because you think too, you think especially of the, the non-Christian looking into the, the, the church as a whole and seeing some awful examples of Christianity, uh, awful examples of Catholicism, because they're out there, right? But, of course, there's going to be. But we, we, we point to, then, these saints as the example of what we, we, we would see as the, the purest, the best form of ourselves and of, of Catholicism. And of, and, of course, that has to exist, and, and there's where we can point them towards. I wonder, I mean, for you, especially as a, as a convert like I was, I mean— this hit home, right? Because I looked into the church. I remember I was I was joining the church kind of when the spotlight scandal w- was breaking. And I had a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, are you sure you want to become Catholic? Like, look at this church. Look at what's happening. Look at the, the scandals. And they could point to all these things down through the ages and some, um, some more true than others. We get into some of these medieval things that are a bit, a bit exaggerated. But nonetheless, there's been scandals all down through the ages, right? Every age has scandals. But like you say, what we point to is, is the best examples, that this thing does work, this, this Catholicism does work, what Christ left for us in founding the church does work, and these, these saints are that example. And uh, there will be scandals, but look at the saints who are living this out. Here are our examples, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's exactly right. No, you got it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think in the, in the intro to your book, uh, uh, Scott Hahn wrote, uh, wrote that, I think, he calls them like the magisterium or, or, or a testament to the magisterium, I think he says, something to that effect, right? That these are the, the people who, 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 um, who testify to what the church really believes, as you said, in, in each age, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, they embody the, the grace of Christ. They embody what it means to live the gospel. They show us uh, what it means to really place Christ at the center of our lives. And as you say, we're, we're so drawn to all of the scandalous bad examples. There's a kind of voyeurism or something that tends to float through the media and we get fixated on these bad examples. But it's not as if being Catholic leads to a bad example. It's the fact that there are bad examples also who choose to be Catholic. Yeah. And at one sense, we say, well, thank God. I mean, it means there's room for me, you know. <laughs> so hopefully at least there's room for bad examples, but then can be converted. And we have those great saints as well. I mean, people like St. Augustine who, or, or, or St. Camillus Delellis, who is a consummate gambler and, uh, and rogue soldier. And I mean, we have uh, examples of so many sinner saints, sinners who converted and became saints. And so even when we look at the bad examples, we can have a reason for hope for them. But, but certainly we have to look at the most positive end results of what happens if we give our yes to the Lord. And it is like you say from age, from, from age to age, really, because you can look at the church in a certain age and say, look, the church was really corrupt or terrible here. There's two popes at one time, or there's all kinds of scandals happening and popes are doing this and this and that. But you look to the saints of those ages 
even when the popes were terrible, right? There were saints who rose up and showed the way forward for the church that are now doctors of the church that we, that we esteem in high regard, right? Those are the examples we need to look for in those times of, of darkness, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we want to find the ways, uh, the ones who, who are able to light a candle, who are able to make their way through the darkness. because we And we have darkness in every age. Uh, we have a particular kind of darkness in our own age, and we're tuned into that in, in various ways, in, in some of the bad examples. Uh, but there's a darkness in every age. And, and how did men and women find their way through the darkness? Well, there's a, a light in the scriptures. There's a light in Christ. There's a light in prayer. There's a light in community. And there's a light in past ages. Uh, the saints of, of past centuries look to the saints of the centuries before them. We really have an incredible history. You know, I, uh, I'm a Benedictine, so I, I'm a, of the order of St. Benedict. St. Benedict wrote the rule that I still follow, my community follows. He wrote that 1500 years ago. <laughs> and so when you look at someone like a lot of people have heard of St. Francis and, and a lot of people love St. Francis, even uh, people who aren't Catholic. I, I think of uh, Rich Mullins, who is a Christian songwriter, and he was really taken, captivated by St. Francis before he eventually started making his journey into Catholicism. Scott Hahn was actually giving him instruction uh, towards the end. But the uh, you know, he was captivated by St. Francis because he embodied the gospel in such a beautiful way. St. Francis was 700 years ago. And so St. Benedict was as old for St. Francis as St. Francis is old for us. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the kind of history, the richness, the depth of, of the church and the, and the ages past that have been just incredible. I, my own patron, St. Boniface, was a Benedictine missionary monk who grew up in England and after uh, 20-some years in the monastery, felt a call to go and spread the gospel in Germany, which was entirely pagan at that time, and encountered a lot of pagan barbarian tribes and just a, a lot of darkness. His, the famous story of St. Boniface is cutting down the oak tree that was worshipped by one particular tribe. That's uh, the kind of interreligious dialogue we don't do today. <laughs> but uh, he cut down the oak tree and, and made it clear it wasn't a god. And then he converted them away from the child sacrifice that they offered in the shadow of that oak tree. And he introduced them to Christ. And, you know, it's a different kind of darkness. And, but, but interestingly, there, were, there was similar kinds of political intrigue. There was intermixing of, of political power and ecclesial power. He eventually befriended Charles Martel, who was the grandfather of Charlemagne, and he laid the way for the Holy Roman Empire, which was its own interesting mixture of things good and bad. And, you know, so anyway, we're, we're always living in, in challenging times. And the closer we can follow Christ, the more that we can walk the way of the gospel and, and follow the example of the saints. We're gonna is going to be the best way that we make it through these times as as heroes rather than as uh, you know the, the 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 victims or the, the the chaff that's that's left behind, ground up in the wheel of time. <laughs> that's very poetic. I, this would probably was a, an experience for you as well as a as a convert. I would, as an evangelical Christian, follow my Bible and look around for examples of others doing that. But often our my examples were contemporaries or people maybe a generation or two. Like C.S. Lewis was maybe our, like our most ancient example of somebody who is a Christian, <laughs> right? Down through the ages. But I, when I began looking into the Catholic Church, I suddenly encountered th this 
family, this community of saints that I had no idea really existed. And I mean, I'm even saying for you, but that really blew my mind in the sense that there were just so many examples of not, not anything that takes away from scripture. Like you said before, people who illuminate and who live out scripture in the same way that I would look to my friends and my family and, and older mentors to help guide me in my faith. Suddenly I had these, like you said, 2000 years of, of history of saints, even beyond that, if looking in the Old Testament, like the saints of the Old Testament, this huge family community of saints that I could then follow and, and emulate, right? That was it, was it mind blowing for you? Like it was for me? <laughs> yeah, it's just been a, a great uh, joy for me. And you, you started to point to something I want to draw attention to and then uh, make another comment as well. But the, you know, introducing you to a family and that's, where we move beyond the saints merely as examples on paper, but actually alive in Christ. Yeah. I mean, so not only have they lived the Christian life to the full, and so they're the proof that it works, and we get to see what that looks like in a real life, in a real place, in a real time, but they're still alive. They're more fully alive than ever in Christ. And so as we are in the mystical body of Christ with them, we still can have a relationship with them. And so they're not just uh, concepts or uh, stories that we can be inspired by, but they're real people we can have a relationship with. And that's certainly the approach that I wanted to take, uh, that I took in writing the book on St. Joseph, was to develop that uh, that kind of relationship with a saint. I also just want to make a quick uh point knowing that I'm not sure how much of my my room here you can see but I have a a saint over here on my wall if the uh, if the whole picture is there uh, blessed Carl of Austria and you you pointed out how looking into history we encounter the lives of the saints and I would say that the best lens to look at history is through the lives of the saints blessed Carl has really introduced me to the the history of World War 1 he became emperor of Austria in the middle of World War 1 and immediately worked for peace. And looking at his life, you can see some of the dynamics. Well, how someone would live the gospel in the midst of World War I as a political figure, and especially in our time, the idea that a saint can be a politician and how that looks is, is so helpful for us. But that's, a, that's an image of him. It's, it's not a Hitler or something like that. People have wondered, I got Stalin on my wall or something. No, it's, uh, Carl Charles of Austria, for whom John Paul II was named. Carl Wojtyla was named after Carl of Austria, Carl von Habsburg. But uh, that's a relic of him. And his, his wife is also a servant of God. And so we can see what a father, a married couple, and, uh, and then they had eight children who are wonderful people who died fairly recently. But he was just beatified in 2004. And I'm a, a delegate for his cause. So we develop relationships with these people. And, and we can really come to get a great lens into history, what the history of a particular time, uh, what, what a, a a gospel, an evangelical interpretation, understanding of history, rather than there are a lot of secular history books on World War One. Read the lives of the saints who lived through World War One, and and we get a little bit clearer, a little more insightful picture. Well, that's the really interesting thing. You talk about relationship, and I would have heard you say that, and as a non-Catholic. Uh, Christian and been like, Father, what are you, how do you ever have a relationship with somebody who has lived that long ago? And it really is hard to explain. So I'll give you maybe another, another go at it in a minute because it's so fascinating, but it's so true. Because now as a Catholic, of course, I, I, I know this, you know this. It's so true. I think of, I had, for me, Padre Pio is, a, is one of those great saints in my life. And 
I I've told the story before on the on the show, and actually I tell that in an episode that I had somebody on talking about Padre Pio, and which figures into this whole story here. But I was in a bit of a low point doing this show. I'd been blogging for a number of years. I began this podcast, and I thought I don't know who it's reaching. I don't know if there's a point in doing this. And so I had an affection for Padre Pio. I had this relationship with this saint who lived long ago, uh, not that long ago as far as saints go, <laughs> I guess. But and I said, and I just said a little prayer. I said, Padre Pio, you know, pray for me. Ask ask God to to show me if this is the way forward, if I'm, or if I'm wasting my time doing this podcast. And I kid you not, Father, but half an hour later, I get an email. And the email says, hey, hey, Keith, I love your show. It's a huge help to me. I want to let you know this really encouragement. Thank you for doing it. Keep, keep doing it. And it was signed by a guy called Nick. And Nick was the director of the Padre Pio Center in America. It's, it's down there. I think it's down your way, actually. You might it's in know Pennsylvania. It. Yeah, yeah, that's where right. It is. And I, I almost dropped my phone on the floor because I thought, here's, here's this, this prayer not only answered, but here's Padre Pio sending his executive director to email me to say, hey, <laughs> to keep doing this. This show is That's working. Beautiful. So I had Nick on the show a while back, actually, and I had one of the other founders of the center who received a miracle uh, through the intercession of Padre Pio on the show as well, just to talk about, right, this is a relationship that we have with these saints. The more you get to know them, the more you learn about them, the more you you are in conversation and communion with them, even though these 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 saints could be, as you say, like 1,500 years old, or lived and died back then, they're very much alive, more alive than they were then, as you said. So can we for a second unpack this relation? Like, how is that for you kind of unfolded? I mean, I'm saying a lot here, but you live this rule every single day, this this ancient rule. That right there is, to me, a, a deep relationship. Absolutely. Well, and, and uh, I think, I don't know, maybe we can understand from some different points of view, but the uh, having a relationship with Christ, I mean, if we if we can get there, then uh, that's a relationship with an intangible, invisible, uh, you know, inaudible person who speaks to us in a different way, who draws us close to him in a different way. So if we're already starting from uh, a point of view of having a relationship with him, the extension to the the, the facets of him, you mentioned C.S. Lewis. I, I like his image of heaven as Every saint has has been entrusted with a facet of God, and his eternity is spent sharing that facet with others and receiving their facet. Uh, and and so there's there's a, an aspect of God that has been embodied in a particular saint. And so anyway, we can have a relationship with them sort of analogously. And you know, it's it's in the obscure way that we have relationships in faith. I mean, it's not like I, uh, he shows up and we hang out and, you know, and uh, slap each other on the back and, and have some laughs and then throw, you know, anyway, it's uh, there's a certain obscurity of, of faith through which we, we relate, but it's, uh, it's very real. And um, when you said you have a, a special relationship with Padre Pio, I'm, I'm guessing you can relate with this kind of thing. My experience is, I think of a saint, a saint sort of starts being two-dimensional to me, like a, like a picture on a page, a, a story in a book. And, and I start to appreciate that. And, and uh, it sort of takes on, maybe, maybe it starts even black and white and two-dimensional. And then as I get to know them, I, I read about them, stories and, and uh, 
just ref- my own reflections, prayer, you know, maybe it kind of takes on some color and, and they're a little bit more vibrant and, uh, but, but still sort of two dimensional. And then something happens in prayer. And again, this is in faith, you know, it's a little hard. There's, there's a, the vocabulary is always lacking for these kinds of things, but, but there's a way that I encounter them in faith There's some spiritual consolation. And, and I have a sense that they're not, they don't just sort of exist in themselves. It's a little bit like, you know, knowing about a famous person and then actually getting to know personally a famous person. And, and there's that, they sort of pop into three dimensions when that happens and 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 i can only say you know with a, with a couple of saints that that would be the case for me that i really feel like i i i'm with them we hang out you know that there's a, a real relationship there that they're sort of three-dimensional and and it's interpersonal that we can kind of look into each other's eyes in a certain way and i have a sense of of their presence you know um, but that like development to a, a sort of three-dimensional relationship which I would say like any other relationship is not the thing that's merely up to me. You know, it's really an encounter of two freedoms and uh, we sort of walk, they choose us and we choose them and we, we grow together and, and we can grow in those relationships. And uh, so, and I've certainly, when we talk about saints being patrons of different things too. And so there's a, you know, again, I, I don't know how, how to define this scientifically, but we have sort of certain spaces together. You know, there's a, you're a podcasting guy. And so there's like a podcasting community. And so there's a relationship in podcasting among human beings that are alive and on earth now. And, and then there's a a sort of, you know, about media and broadcasting and I don't, you know, there's a, there's sort of categories of, uh, uh, our hearts and minds are close together in some way. So we talk about patrons in those areas, but then there are some saints like St. Joseph who are a patron of the whole church. They're they're a little bit bigger, broader, more universal than some of the other saints. And we, we mention them every time at mass, you know, St. Joseph has been introduced into the Eucharistic prayer now. So we always mention his name at mass, like we already did with Mary, the mother of God, who we all have a special relationship because of baptism, because of our relationship to Christ. And then, and then the other saints are a little bit more personal, our, our names, our professions, our uh, vocations, these kinds of things connect us to them uh, a little bit more personally. Yeah. I I think that, one of the scandals for me in discovering the, the Catholic Church as an evangelical was that we really truncated our faith as as evangelicals. We lost these saints somewhere down the line post Reformation, uh, and it's as if that 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 I mean Christ came to tear the veil between heaven and earth, but that that veil is like a stone wall, a concrete wall. When when I was living as an evangelical, because all those saints were just gone. Like, you know, somebody dies, they're in heaven. They're totally cut off from access to me. I can't, I can't think about them. I can't talk about them. I can't, I can't be with them. Yet we were all part of the body of Christ. I can remember asking once my, my evangelical, my Pentecostal pastor, I said, well, what did, what do we make of this? Because it seems like Christ overcame death. So why is it that when these, these deceased Christians are just gone and we see them again in heaven, but we don't have anything to do with them until then. I discovered then, of course, the, the catechism and how the Catholic Church has treated this down th- through the ages, right? That is just more organic and, and makes more sense to the, the human condition, right? And, and the reality of, of Christ's resurrection. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's right. That's right on the mark. It's uh, And 
that that sense, like you say, it really goes back to the beginning. The sense that uh, these these were brothers in our community. They were killed out of hatred for the faith, and they are the the heroes and and drawn into Christ more fully in heaven. You know. St. Ignatius of Antioch talked about being ground in the teeth of the lion to become the bread from which the Eucharist is made. I mean, this, this identification with Christ so intimately is so clear there in his sense. And those who celebrated the, the martyrs kept the vigil, remembered the memorial, drew close to the, the living rema- or the, uh, the, the remains, uh, the relics of those saints. And they, they had a sense of the, the presence, especially in certain places and, and, uh, and with the relics in particular. And so that, that sense of, yeah, our brothers are still with us. I mean, they've entered more fully into life. They haven't separated from this life. They've entered more fully into life. A little bit like Christ, he didn't just disappear at the ascension. He didn't like peace out, you know, hey guys, <laughs> we'll uh, check you out. Uh, see you later. But, you know, he enters more fully into life. He's more present because he has disappeared from sight. And we have that sense, uh, all, always from the beginning, we had that sense in the church. And, and still that's the the sense of the faithful is, yeah, these, these people are closer to us. Like you said, Christ came to destroy death and to break down the veil. Yeah. All right. So St. Joseph, I want to begin by asking why St. Joseph? I know it's, for us Catholics is the year of St. Joseph, which is important to understand and, and to underscore that. But here's this silent figure from the Bible who I don't think says anything in the Bible, maybe he, maybe he does. Maybe I, I forget something that he said somewhere, tucked away somewhere. But I don't think he says anything. Mm. What, what can we learn? I mean, that's a broad question. I want to dig deeper. But what can we learn from somebody who doesn't say anything in in, in the Bible? Like that's such an interesting person to write a whole book about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> our our actions do reveal us, yeah. and so Saint Joseph acted out his interior life and. Pope John Paul describes that in a very beautiful way in the the longest papal writing about St. Joseph called The Guardian of the Redeemer, Redemptoris Custos. And he talks about how the actions of St. Joseph reveal the interior life of the saint. And so when the angel appears to Joseph, and that happens four times, four different dreams, each time after the dream, Joseph does exactly what he's told. And so we know that Mary, when the angel appeared to her, she spoke her response. She said, be it done to me according to your word. Fiat is the Latin word, be it done. So she spoke her fiat, let it be done. And then Joseph acted out his fiat. And one might say, you know, Jordan Peterson makes this uh, claim about, you can't really, like you're, you, you, you express your creed with your feet. You know, you, you just saying words is not adequate. You have to act out what you believe. And so in some sense, we might say that Joseph is a better exemplar uh, in, in having acted out his faith. He, he took it to the bank. He put the, the rubber to the road. He, he really uh, lived out his faith with his feet and uh, responded in that way. And so the fact that he didn't say anything is not uh, a strike against him, but is in you know perhaps a, a strike for him. Certainly, it's it's exemplary for us, and we might say you know it's not possible, it's not popular to make distinctions between male and female anymore. But uh, I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to make the claim that men and women are different. And one of the the just the statistical differences is that men 
uh, tend to talk less than women. So on average, women use about 20,000 words a day. Men use about 7,000. So it's a significantly uh, lower amount of speaking, which is not to say better or worse. It's different. And it's a, there's a beautiful complementarity. And so we, we get that picture between Mary and Joseph. Mary is a, a woman and Joseph is a man. Mary uses her words and expresses her, her, her willingness. And Joseph uses his feet and expresses his willingness. So, so the, the silence actually is, it teaches us something. And, and perhaps in, in our age, uh, where there's a lot of noise, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of words. And, you know, you're a word producer, by the way, and uh, podcasts. Now, to your great credit, we are not following normal television standards for the podcast because television doesn't allow you to hold a frame for more than two and a half seconds. Yeah. And it doesn't allow one person to talk for more than 15 seconds because that requires the listener to actually take things in and think about them and digest them. And, and we don't want to do that on television. We want entertainment and constant stimulation. So, but we need silence. We need interior silence in order to take truth in, to take experience in, and to digest it, to integrate it, to understand it, to, uh, to process it, and to allow new ideas to come to birth, to allow synthesis to happen. And so we really get a beautiful example of that in St. Joseph. His silence is not detrimental, but it really, it speaks loudly. The fact that he's not now, some people would be silent, perhaps, because they don't have anything to say, because they don't have anything going on inside. And maybe we, we judge too many uh, silent people that way as being just kind of dull or empty or uh, simpletons. Well, St. Joseph is clearly none of those things. He has a silence, but it has a depth. And so that's exemplary for us. It teaches us about a way of being. And he is, in particular, being with the Lord and the Mother of God, throughout the, the bulk, you know, the, the most important years of his life. And so it shows us about a way of being with God in silence that's, that's so valuable. And so uh, those, are, those are a few things that St. Joseph teaches us. There are, in fact, so many as we start to uh, unfold the layers and go deeper into what the, the Word of God has revealed to us. Well, and I think that's really amazing. And, and to your credit, this is a fantastic book. It really is. And it, it amazes one to realize what you can learn from a character who's, who's silent in, in the Gospels, right? There's so much to learn there. I, I think in some accounts that I have seen or can recall, Joseph is almost this kind of haphazard character. I mean, he's going to maybe divorce Mary and then whoops, oh, I shouldn't do that. That's a bit silly. I'm going to go over here. Oh, I shouldn't do that. That's kind of silly. And these dreams are instructive. And it, I, I, I've seen these accounts where he's kind of pictured as as not only with the program and right, constantly kind of corrected by God in these dreams and stumbling his way through. But of course, as you dis- describe to us and write in this book, that there, there is so much more than that. That's not the case when you look at his actions. It's not as if he's like, well, I might do this. I don't know. He does it. Like the, he has a dream and he does that. He doesn't always maybe get it right the first time. Like he's going to, he's going to leave Mary quietly for her, for her sake, and and said, no, you know, that's not the right choice. Do this. Here's the plan. He does it. Right. He's not this. He's not this kind of sidekick who's stumbling along trying to figure things out, right? He's responding, as you say, in this fantastic example for us, how we should live our Christian lives too, right? Beautifully said. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I like that. 
that word uh, haphazard that's uh yeah the or the stumbling sidekick you know the deputy or something it was uh um and and that yeah that image has floated around and uh in some ways there are some translation things that are not the most helpful for us and and then as you say for people who haven't maybe reflected on it too much it's easy to kind of pick that up and it's kind of fun you know and we say that and we're not really reflecting very deeply but there's something really valuable in understanding what God's approach to things is when God decided to become one of us, when the Son of God became also the Son of Man, when the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He wanted to live a, a, a human life, so he becomes really human. He really lives a human life. And and in living a human life, he needs to be formed. So we, we're not solitary beings who form ourselves. We are formed by the love that we receive from others. And uh, we know that in part because of the scars that we carry from the sinners, the limited human beings who have formed us. And whether it's sort of big sins or little sins, where we've, whether we've suffered big traumas or little traumas, you know, all of us are kind of in recovery in one way or another <laughs> from uh, just the, you know, the, the, the bangs and bruises of life. But, but God wanted to, to create a new humanity beginning with Christ and so he places him in a, in a perfect human family and, and makes that family the, the kernel of a new creation. He, God created through a family and he redeems through a family. And so he doesn't create Mary, whom you know, we believe is without sin, and then Joseph, the kind of bumbling sidekick haphazard man, right? So he, he actually makes Joseph also up to the task to be able to father Christ in a way that perfectly forms his humanity through the love of a father as Mary is able to do that through a love of the, uh, the love of a mother. And we see that God really honors our humanity in that way, which is, which is just beautiful to realize. He doesn't just like kind of zap, zap, you know, create Superman and throw him in there and we're going to save the human race. He, he brings himself fully into our experience and allows himself to be formed by 30 years of love in the home in Nazareth. And, and we see that Mary and Joseph, in fact, and their marriage are really meant to be perfect in love. So in the way that Jesus says, perfect, be, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, perfect in love. And that's the, the environment in which Jesus is formed. And then we might say, well, that's not fair. He, why does he get that? And I don't get that. Well, I do get that because I'm baptized into him. And so Mary is my mother and Joseph is my father. And we also can benefit from being in Nazareth and developing relationships with them. And they can kind of fill in the holes. All of us had, you know, our parents had limitations in different ways and there are some holes there. Well, that's okay. And and we have Joseph and Mary to help to fill in some of those holes. And so, but that's the, the logic of God. There's something beautiful that we find there when we see that, that Joseph is made to be the perfect father for the son of God. Yeah, and it is really, reflecting on that really is, I, I don't know, earth shattering is the wrong word, but it really is this thing that shakes you, like in your, in your, in your seat, right? To think that God chose those two people. He chose, he chose Joseph out of everyone he could have chosen to be, to be the, Jesus's father. That's a pretty remarkable thing. And we got, we ought to mind that for all it's worth. Like, who was this person? Right? Like, this is, your book is so important for this because we really need to know, well, what made that person worthy of God to choose him for such a task? Like, I want to know so I can be like that, right? 
And, and I think it's also, you know, one of the, the theological traditions is that he also grew into that in a certain way. And so God made him in a certain way, chose him, and, and he was already sort of growing in, uh, in his love of the law. We hear in the scriptures, he's a just man. And that word is just so unhelpful because we have one idea of justice, which is like legalistic and, yeah. you know, a, a judge and all of this lawyers and courts and things like that. But he's a man of the law. Even that step away from he's a man of the logic of God, of the divinely revealed word of God, which is known as the law, the Torah. But he's a man who has internalized the logic of God. And he did that. He had the capacity for that. But he also invested himself in that. He responded to that, that grace in his life. And then further, we know that he married Mary. And, and one of the theological proposals is that Joseph... Uh, it's fairly broadly held that Joseph is sanctified at some point in his life, maybe in the womb. That's one uh, angle that, and and from that point, he never committed particular sin, uh, and and he was really given the grace of of baptism. We might say, just like John the Baptist, who encountered Christ in the womb, that that Saint Joseph was sanctified at some point. But one of the proposals is that he was sanctified when he said, when he married Mary. And, and that's when he accepted this vocation to be the husband of Mary, which was a necessary precursor to the conception of Christ. Sometimes we have this idea like, well, Mary was going to conceive Christ no matter what. And then Joseph kind of like slipped in there at the last minute and then, like, oh, you know, it created some problems and God had to sort of sort that out somehow. And like, you know, don't mess this up. And but but it's just the opposite. The, the marriage came first. And John Paul II says the marriage is as important as the virginity of Mary. And so we, we focus a lot of energy around the, the virginity because that indicates that this is a divine conception. There's never been a virginal conception before or since. And so there's something really significant. It's showing that God himself is being conceived in the womb of Mary. But also the marriage is as important that, that God entrusted his son to a marriage. And, and so that Joseph is sanctified. Ultimately, he accepts his vocation in accepting the marriage, which is binding and lifelong. And then, you know, certainly receives further grace when he acts out the response to the angel in the dream and, and, and is willing. He just thought he was marrying Mary, who is, you know, by the way, the most beautiful, perfect and holy uh -huh. person who has ever lived. And he knew that at some level. I mean, you don't just meet holy people and like you don't know anything about that. He knew at some level and maybe at a very detailed level what he was doing there. What he didn't know that he was that he was going to be chosen to be the father of the son of God. And, and that's what the, the angel reveals to him is not only don't separate yourself from this, but you're going to have a further vocation to be the father. I'm going to give you the grace to raise him in the way that he needs to be raised in order for his humanity to be formed fully and to carry out his mission, et cetera, et cetera. So what does that, what does that for you teach us? Like what is the takeaway there for us? I can think of all kinds of things in my life and in this, this ministry that I've undertaken. I mean, in, in your, in your life as a monk and the vows that you've taken, the life you live, what is the takeaway from somebody from, from God choosing a person like that, giving them a mission like that, and then letting us watch that unfold, because he's there in the gospel for a reason, right? To, to teach us. So what's one thing we take away from that, that crazy mission? 
Yeah, crazy mission. Yeah, I mean, absolutely unique mission. No one ever received a mission like that, and no one ever will again. And so there's an absolutely unique role that Joseph plays. Uh, But all of us have an impossible mission. You know, Joseph's mission was impossible. There's there's no like set of human characteristics that en- enables someone to be the, the the father of the son of God. I mean, you can't like practice for that. There's no certificate <laughs> course that you can sign up for. And, and in some level, all of us have an absolutely unique mission that nothing can qualify us for. Only the grace of God can enable us to be faithful and to live out the mission that he has given us. And and each of us are called to incarnate God in a unique way, that we're we're asked to live out this grace of of Christ as members of his body in a unique way in this world. And and so we can all, all feel overwhelmed by that at times. And maybe uh, tempted to to separate ourselves from it, um, but we can also say yes uh, with your by your grace. I, I'll say yes to this, and so we can learn from Joseph that that yes, which which comes to birth in listening and in silence and in internalizing the word of God. Again, when it says he's a just man, it means that he was a man who lived and breathed the Scripture as as it was available to him. And we also can live and breathe the scripture in the sense that it brings to us, it communicates to us the logic of God. Uh, St. John tells us in the beginning was the word and word in Greek logos is the, where we get the word logic from meaning reason. It's the, it's the mentality. It's the thought process. It's the, it's the, the logic of God, this divine logic. And we can be like St. Joseph and internalize this, divine logic. And that's going to help us to say yes to whatever crazy things he might bring into our life. And uh, as as you had to do and saying yes to this vocation to podcast and then saying yes to continuing in this vocation to podcast and the doubts and the, you know, those things that come up and, and we all have that. We're at whatever we're doing. We all have those, those struggles and we can really learn from St. Joseph also how to persevere in the struggle. God, God will help us. You know, when uh, I was talking about this with, with somebody and he said, you know, I think Joseph was about to drop the ball and then God sent him a spiritual director called the angel in the dream. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I like that. As a, as a spiritual director, I can appreciate that uh, Joseph needed a spiritual director to help him stay on track. That's great. Yeah. Makes you feel kind of inept though. You're not, you're not an angel. So you kind of, you know, that might give you <laughs> a right. complex. <laughs> I, I like to like the docility of Joseph. Like he's so docile, right? I learned somewhere along the way. I read a billion books coming into the church and I can't remember where I first read this idea, but it certainly wasn't in my vocabulary as an evangelical Christian, but the idea of just being docile to towards God. And, and Joseph is a great example of that, right? He's, okay, I get up from my dream. I go, I do this, right? Let's go to, let's bring the family out of Egypt. Let's do the, all these, right, into Egypt, out of Egypt. Bo- I mean, both ways, I guess. But that he's a fantastic example of just that being ready to go where God sends him. And he doesn't even question it because he doesn't say anything in the, in the Gospels, right? But that is such a mark of, I think, a really holy person, of a saint, right? Just being willing to, and being in a place to, like, spiritually, emotionally, be ready just to say, yes, I'll go, right? Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that word docility, which... I don't think it plays well in the secular world. I, I, I understand it the way that you say it. I mean, it's so much a part of my vocabulary, my yeah. thought process. But it comes from the word docere, 
which is uh, the same where we get doctor from, but it's it's teachable, docile, docible, docible, uh, teachable. It's someone who's teachable. And that's a beautiful quality. Yeah, so sometimes we think of animals, you know, a dog being docile or something like that. And that's a different kind of thing. But um, although it, it's also referring to teachable, but it's just in a different way that human beings can be teachable. But with the fullness of freedom to be really teachable, to be to be a disciple is to be docile, is to be teachable, is to is to sign up with the master and allow him to to teach us, to teach us the ways of, of virtue, the ways of holiness, to teach us the logic of God. You know, it's it's a big problem in our world, our, our whole worldview. I mean, the prominent worldview is just, is is so broken. Uh, this, this one thread that's very scientistic that says that beyond matter, there's nothing. Rather than seeing matter as, as an opening to infinity, that that matter is revealing to us uh, that, that God himself communicates, reveals himself in matter, uh, that but but the the you know the the modern world says ah this is uh, you know beyond there's nothing this is nihilism it's all this kind of stuff anyway there's we, we just have like so many broken concepts that lead us into very strange directions where the uh, so much relativism and I can just invent myself whatever I think you know that there's no uh, absolutes there's no ob- objectivity and. Joseph teaches us, Joseph reveals, receives reality. He's teachable, he's docile. He receives reality from revelation. He receives reality from God. And then he lives according to the reality that he's receiving. And that doesn't lead to, sometimes we think, oh, well, then you're like in a straitjacket. You know, you're in chains. You're like forced in this direction. Even the the word religion means to to bind. It's about being bound. And we think that, that 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 limits our life. But the fact is, no one lived a greater adventure than Joseph. Yeah. Joseph lived an incredible adventure. Uh, who who lived a more magnificent life than, than him who's married to the holiest woman who ever lived, the most beautiful, the most magnificent, and, and is able to father the Son of God. I mean, Joseph leads us into adventure. His docility is not something that stifles creativity and, and energy and adventure. It's actually what opens up to it. Yeah, that's fantastic. We talk about Joseph as the the, the patron or protector of the church, and I love the the idea where that comes from because, of course, if he is the view of the patriarch, the father of of the family raising Christ, then of course, when the, the as the, as the church, the extension of that family, he's protector and patron of that family as well. Can we unpack that for a second, especially in in light of uh, in every age, the church is in turmoil. But as you're talking about the age of relativism and, and, our, and our current, the current zeitgeist in our, in our culture, I mean, we are we are ever under attack in quotes in the in the church right now, even from within. Sometimes, what does it mean to have a a, a patron or a protector like Saint Joseph, uh, over overseeing or, or or still still fathering the church even now? You know, uh, one one thing that comes to me is sometimes all of this gets like kind of big and overwhelming, and we we look at the the things that are happening, and we just like, oh my gosh, you know the the demons are so great, the enemies are so large, the all of this kind of stuff, and and I feel like one thing that Joseph does, uh, the way that he protects is by by hiding, by giving us shelter, by giving us permission to be little, and and to know that we have a father. 
there's something so great. You know, there's an impulse in childhood, like my daddy's bigger than your daddy. You know, um, <laughs> I'm going to make it out because my daddy's going to protect me. And and Joseph gives us that. He gives us a, a, a daddy. He gives us a, a father who is who is really a protector, who will keep us safe. And he gives us permission to just like, I'm kind of overwhelmed by all this stuff. And I don't know what's happening. And, and I'm a little bit scared by it. And there are a lot of politics. And, you know, you get into all kinds of conspiracy theories and all the big movers and shakers. And it's like, oh, gosh, go to Joseph. You can go to Joseph. We have a patron. We have a father. We have someone who's taking care of the church, and he's going to see us through. It's not. We're not in a time where it's, there's any more violent threat than Herod ready to massacre yeah. every child under the age of two in Bethlehem. And we can imagine it's that bad right now, and Joseph can protect us from it yeah. because he's listening to God, and he's taking care of us. Yeah, that's well said. I want to ask you about the, this St. Joseph option to, to end our conversation here, but I want to, before we get there, there are a couple of really fascinating titles that St. Joseph receives, and Terror of Demons is this is this fantastic one. And I have this beautiful image. Um, I think it's from Bardius Catholic. It's an author. It's a, it's a fantastic illustrator. Who does this fantastic drawing of Saint Joseph? It's dark and it's in, it's in dark blue, and there's flames all up there. And there's he's there, he's there standing behind Jesus, and these demons are kind of falling away behind them. And it's just this amazing idea of this this father protecting Christ. Because of course he did, right? Of course he protected Christ through his childhood. He and and of course Satan was was waiting around every corner to try and figure out what God was doing with this with his plan and the incarnation and of course Joseph was there to kind of guide that through so how do you I mean that's there's so much to mine in there that could probably be a whole book that you could write for us too as a, as a single one. how do you mind that such a fascinating picture of of Saint Joseph as this terror of demons yeah well I think there's a it's a, everybody's always fascinated that the two things that everybody always brings up silence and terror of demons. Yeah. It's, a, it's this very uh, captivating idea. And I honestly don't know where it originated. It's, it's a very interesting uh, title, but St. Joseph doesn't have that kind of terrible presentation or that terrifying presentation or that terrorizing presentation. And, and so to map that together, what is it that's terrible to demons? Well, a very different thing than is terrible to us, that's terrifying to us. What's terrifying to demons is humility, yeah. obedience, silence, the very things that all of us are capable of. So a lot of times we don't feel very terrifying. We feel like, well, you know, I could get blown over by the next wind or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm subject to, uh, to attackers like anybody else. We don't feel very terrifying, but what's terrifying to demons, humility, silence, obedience, that hiddenness of Joseph. And, you know, if you, if you think about it another way, what's terrifying to us sometimes is an enemy we can't see. And Joseph is an enemy that the demons can't see. That's one of the uh, insights of Ignatius of Antioch. He said that, because, that Joseph was a kind of veil over the Holy Family. 
And so he slipped away. The enemy couldn't find him, couldn't see him. Herod is raging. Herod, who is embodying Satan in some way, is raging and can't see him, doesn't know where he is and flails around. You know, so that that idea of Joseph's cloaking device that keeps him uh, (laughs) hidden. And so, you know, he can come from any corner. The the demon is terrorized by that. Uh, But but I think also fatherhood. Ultimately, the Satan has rebelled against the father. And Joseph embodies the father. He, he magnifies and presents to us the father. And so I think that's the other dimension that's terrorizing to the demons in the same way that it's totally consoling for us. It feels so good to have a place in the father's house and to have a place in the father's arms, the father's heart. I think that's incredible, the, the idea that what terrorizes them are these things, right? Fatherhood and humility and that kind of... That, that sitting back and letting God be in charge, of course, that's what demons are most afraid of, right? Because that's the thing that they, 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 are, they don't want to do. I mean, that's, it's an amazing picture of just how counter-cultural, I mean, our, our faith is and our great saints like St. Saint Joseph actually are. Because how counter-cultural is it to, to be lauding things like humility and, and these kind of characteristics that really don't, don't have a lot of weight these days? I mean, we... We pay sometimes, I think, secular society lip service to these things like humility. But at the end of the day, it's the strength and, and, and the rich riches that win, right? But here are our great saints and patriarchs and, and patrons of the church who are these pictures of humility and, and docility and poverty, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as I say, it's, it's so hopeful for us because those are all accessible things to yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, every one of us can follow that. That, that example. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I, I said two more questions. I'm going to sneak one more in here because you, you called this through the heart of St. Joseph, not like looking at the heart or like an x-ray of the heart. It's through the heart. So what are we, what are we looking at through the heart of St. Joseph? What are you looking towards through that lens? In, in your Beautiful. Opinion. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. It's, uh, it's St. Joseph is not the end point, you know, yeah. and, and I'll tip my hat again to our evangelical friends. Uh, Jesus is the end point. Yeah. Jesus is God. St. Joseph is not God. Uh, St. Joseph gives us a beautiful picture of the father, but the heavenly father is the end point. And so we can pass through the heart of St. Joseph. St. Joseph is someone who loved God, who loved Jesus, who loved Mary. And St. Joseph's heart is, is a place where there are uh, riches also stored, but, but it's the doorway through which we arrive at Mary and, jo- uh, Mary and Jesus. I, I imagine the, the Magi, when they arrive in Bethlehem, they follow the star. The first p- person they encounter at the door is St. Joseph, and they got to come through him yeah. to get to Mary and Jesus. And, and I think the same is true for us. We, when we come to the heart of St. Joseph, that's the heart that leads us to Mary and Jesus. Ah, that's very well said. The last thing I want to ask you about is this idea of of the, the Joseph option, Saint Joseph option. What do we? What exactly do you have in store for us here? Like, what is the idea of what we should pursue here? L- looking at reading your book, living this out. What is this? Where is this going to take us? Where, where are we going with this? Well, it's the invitation to make another Nazareth. Wherever you are, in your own family, in your own workplace, in your own community, make another Nazareth. Uh, so that's the simple response. I, 
stole the idea uh, or, or I'm playing off of the idea rather Roger Ayer presents in, in the Benedict option. Yeah. He looks to St. Benedict and the rule of St. Benedict. And I got some stake in this as a Benedictine. <laughs> so, but, but I, I thought for a long time before the Benedict option actually about where St. Joseph is in the rule of St. Benedict. Mary and Joseph don't appear in the rule of St. Benedict. Uh, but in another way, they are very prominent in the rule of St. Benedict. And that was the insight that I had is that St. Benedict creates another Nazareth. He enables us to live the life of St. Joseph so that we come to know him from the inside by being like him. And it, how does he do that? Well, the, the keynote of the rule is that the divine presence is everywhere. And then the rest of the rule is orienting the monk to be aware of the divine presence. Joseph lived constantly in the divine presence. He lived in the presence of Jesus. Yeah. And he worked, he loved, he lived family life. He, he did everything in the presence of Jesus. St. Paul VI called Nazareth a school uh, for the life of Jesus. St. Benedict called the monastery the school for the Lord's service. And, and in Nazareth and in the monastery, there's a school there. We're formed. It forms us. And then Rodriguez's point with the Benedict option was how important it is to, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of effort to kind of capture the top. If we can win the political struggle, if we can get on top and have the power, then we can press Christianity into everything else. But, but Rodriguez was inviting, and, and I think St. Joseph really lived this. It, it comes from the bottom up. Jesus calls us to be leavened, salt, light. It's, it's a bottom up. It's, it's a seed that grows from the hidden place under the earth. And, and Nazareth was like that. The cradle of a new creation was in this very hidden place where there were the, mod, the, the virtues of humility and silence and obedience. Those are the three big chapters in the rule of St. Benedict on the virtues. And, and those were the virtues of Nazareth that were lived out there. So we can all create another Nazareth and, and really make a place where there is the hospitality, where there's the availability, where Jesus Christ is really present and we live in his presence and we, we share that presence with others. And I think that's the leaven that's really can, can transform our society and can help others to know Jesus and Mary and Joseph as well. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, Father, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. The book is Through the Heart of St. Joseph from Emmaus Road Publishing. Fantastic book. I can't say enough good things about it. So, I mean, just for the fact alone that you can pack so much into a guy who doesn't say anything in the gospel, it's <laughs> amazing what you, can, what you can mine from that. And it truly is, I don't know of anything else out there quite like this. It really is remarkable, I think, as a, as a resource. There are, there are books about St. Joseph. This is a real resource. So thank you for, for writing it. Uh, where, where else do you want to point people towards if they want to follow the, the, any of the work that you do? I, I know you're out there in, other, in, in different places. Where can they go to see more of you? Because they're going to want to, I think, obviously. You're so good. Well, I'm so grateful for the chance to talk with you and, and talk about St. Joseph and uh, all of my favorite things here. So really appreciate the invitation. Uh, I have a, a website, fatherboniface.org. You have to spell out father, F-A-T-H-E-R, and you have to figure out how to spell Boniface, yeah. which is not exactly how it sounds. B-O-N-I-F-A-C-E dot org, fatherboniface.org. And there are kind of links into everything else in my world from there. So that's probably the easiest place to go. That sounds fantastic. A great website too. That's a good, that's an 
easy to remember. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it works out well. Well, thank you so much, Father, for being here. I want to say God bless you. God bless your, your work in the church and your ministry, your writing, your vocation. I mean, we are blessed by, by your presence and the work you're doing every single day. Thank you so much for being here, and God bless. And you too. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, that was it. My conversation with Father Boniface Hicks. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed having it. I thought it was just fantastic. Great guy to talk to. Really appreciate his time. And I will have him back to talk about his conversion story. I guarantee you if I can find uh, time in his schedule to do that because it's a fantastic one. And I love being blindsided by guests who have a conversion experience. I have know nothing about it. It happens occasionally. It's always so much fun. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website for show notes for my blog as well. CordialCatholic at gmail.com to send me an email. I am sometimes swamped by emails, but get back to all of them as soon as I can and really appreciate hearing from you, hearing who you are, where you're listening from, and why you are listening and continue to listen. I love your feedback. It's great hearing from you guys. And thank you. Cordial Catholic on Twitter and Instagram, youtube.com slash the Cordial Catholic to watch shows, episodes like this one. We're on Facebook at the Cordial Catholic and patreon.com slash Cordial Catholic to support this show on a monthly basis. PayPal.me slash Cordial Catholic also for a one time donation. You guys and your support help to underpin this thing and keep it going and growing every single month, and I really do appreciate that. Check out newsletter.thecordialcatholic for our newsletter. Each week I won't spam you, I promise, but I'll send you updates on how the show is doing and behind the scenes things for every single episode. It's, it's informative, it's not spam, I promise you, and I love getting that out every single week as well. Thanks for listening, guys. Please do pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you too. I'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, guys, and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordial A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.